Hey, what's up, Confessions of a Worship Leader? Thanks so much to you guys for following. And uh, I'm Brandon Dempsey. I just want to share my daily confession today. Why aren't people singing? Now, this is a follow-up from the article that I just posted below. So be sure to read that, especially if it's on Facebook. So if, if you're not there yet, just find the link in the bio, go to our Facebook page, Confessions of a Worship Leader, and you'll see the post right there. Um, the headline or caption rather of that graphic says, uh, if we care for only garnering the brand of the church, the way things look, the way things sound, the way people think of us, then we've lost the essence of what Christ teaches and what God truly desires as a heart of worship. Uh, so let that be our topic today. You know, it's crazy to me how I started out this way too, being afraid of people not singing. When did that ever become an issue, by the way? When I grew up in the church and grew up, let me just say, let me back that up a second, because I didn't grow up in the church. I later grew up in the church. It started out that way. It wasn't until high school, uh, just slightly before that, where I became a little bit more involved um, with Sunday school, going to youth programs, you name it. But when I sang in worship with my mom, with my stepdad, you know, I, I really was just focusing on the words and God himself. Now, I know that you say, today you can say, yeah, but the technology was different back then. We didn't use haze and fog machines, which is another topic I want to get into. We didn't use uh, strobe lights or, you know, um, gobos or whatever. We didn't have running streaming video during worship. Yeah, I know. But think about the kids today that grew up in this era, in this technology age. They're still children. You know, they're, they're still hearts. They're still men and women, old and young, who come before God to worship. And so I don't know where the idea came in that if they're not singing, is that, does that explain why we develop haze machines and theatrical lighting? I mean, look, I know it can be used for an aesthetic, and I know that it can help create an environment of worship, but what I've seen, in my opinion, is that more than half of the time, it becomes a focus of worship, no matter what. I mean, look, think about it. You're in a church, uh, worship center and you're wowed i mean it's impressive the, the what we're able to create today it's just it's jaw-dropping but i would say that you know the average human heart is not going to immediately decipher oh well this is the worship of god i want to worship god through this you know art which it should be but not everybody thinks that way the way you think about art the way i think about art are two different things and if you times that by 700 people in the room, 50 people in the room, you're going to have that many different perspectives of what they think good art is and how is it used to worship God versus what is the true essence and meaning of worshiping God. That's going to vary from one person to another as well. So it's hard for me to put my stamp of approval on a haze machine thinking that's going to draw people more to God when all it's really doing is trying to encourage people to worship. It's trying to gather people together, right? 
it's trying to become a focus for the looks. It's trying to garner a presentation of uh, uh, a caption of your worship. It's somebody's Instagram. It's somebody's status update of how cool church was. It could also be used for the pastor, how good they look on the haze-ridden uh, stage. That it makes sense. Maybe say, I almost said sage. Haze-infused, haze-baked, whatever you want to say. But it's amazing how that becomes the new identity of what a worship service looks like. And who plays all into that? Again, if it's trying to get people to worship, then there's a problem with our worship, right? I mean, it's like in my own house. Okay, this is great. When we watch a TV show, right, I can put in a brand, like we got a brand new big screen TV for our living room. Great. Does it enhance the movie? Yes. Does it bring people together in the room to watch the big screen? You bet it does. Is it impressive? Yes. Is it fun? Absolutely. But what's the purpose for it? It's for entertaining. And see, in the church, are we still taking that mindset of what's impressive and big to worship tame people? And and I don't mean this for every church, but I'm just basing it off of my experience and my impressions. This is my opinion. This is my perspective. But you're watching it because for some reason you are uh, linked into this topic, and I hope that it hope that you find value into it. If I'm speaking something wrong or an angle I'm not looking at, drop me a comment below because I really want to dialogue with you, to, you know, so that we can have a healthy conversation about what this is. For for me. Trying to get people to worship is a problem. We had the TV example in the living room. Okay, so what about if I did the same thing with Bible reading? If I have to make Bible reading something where in my son's room I'm getting him new lighting, uh, we got this new wall that's painted, and, and, and now we got this soft music in the background so that we can read a Bible. Sounds cool, right? Okay, but... To him, he's probably going to be focused on the external things and not so much the Bible itself. So do I have to really strive to make the Bible that much more interesting for my son to read? No, because if he enjoys reading it, right? There's two ways about this, right? If he enjoys reading the Bible, he's naturally going to be in tune by it. He's going to be attracted by it. But if he's not used to reading the Bible, then I can understand why having a big, large painted wall and music and lighting, I could see then how that would help draw his attention. But do I also need to coerce my own child? So what are we doing in worship? Are we trying to coerce people to do what? And what is the purpose to get people to sing anyway? Like, I mean, really think about this. Does it really matter to us anyway if people sing or not? Don't get me wrong. It's great. Look, I'm a worship leader, and I love hearing people sing. But am I trying to get people sing so that I hear it and I think, oh, what a great job we've done as a church or this justifies my effectiveness? 
But I'm telling you, this is what a lot. This is where a lot of people live. They base their effectiveness on who sings within the church. If that's not true, then why do you have your pastor going around saying we must do something for participation in worship? We must get more attendance. We must get people through the doors. Why? Is God somehow saying? Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to bump you there. Is God somehow saying? You must have 200,000 people in your services to worship. What does that do for the person? So I just find it very, as a distorted view of God and who God is and why we worship Him. Um, I say in the article that it's, it's also likely that those who are judging, right, from the outside, looking in, or maybe they're ridiculing us as the worship leader, are equating their spiritual stature and security based on how many people worship or not. But does this really determine a type of holiness or pride? Spiritual, this is what makes spiritual abuse so subtle. Because we don't think of it this way in terms of, well, we must get people to sing. It can sound innocent at first. I remember starting out in worship where, yes, we tried different things because we were incorporating new music in the church. We were in a church that they all sung hymns, so we're trying to do new spiritual songs and choruses, what they called them way back then. Contemporary music. They weren't used to it. So that's why they weren't singing, because they weren't used to the music. So what can we do as a team to make that music more inviting? We had changed up instrumentation. We would change up song selection. We would tie in more hymns. We would do different things to um, make the song relevant for their engagement. But we didn't have to have a $1,000 light system to accomplish that. Because really, if you ask the average person, you know what? They don't care. That's, that's the thing. It's like, we creatives, we care about how things look because we're artists. And I don't find there anything being wrong with having a great light show and a decked out stage if it's for the purpose of glorifying God. But once there's a fine line when that becomes the focus of man. And if you ask lost people, people who don't know Jesus that come to your church, if they like the lights, they're probably going to look at you like you're nuts because they don't care. And even Christians, if you ask them, hey, do you like the lighting show? You have two responses. You either have one that's going to be like, oh, I didn't know you had lighting because I was too busy worshiping, which is what they should be. Or two, they say, yeah, I love the light show. Um, did it increase my participation in worship? I don't know. I really wasn't worshiping anyways. I was too focused on other things. We're, we're such a distracted society as it is. Yes, I know. I get it. Right. And that's why you're using lights. Yeah, I get it. That's why you're using haze. But don't you see that that just adds more to the distraction for ourselves? Much less, how does God enter that equation? If we're so distracted by everything else going on and we're trying to garner people's attention, how can the Holy Spirit really speak anyway? Who are we kidding? It's really just for us. I've, I've come to find out, and I believe that, you know, Art is art, and that's great to have, but when it becomes something more, it's just self-indulgent. It's really just for ourselves. 
It's not for God anyway. This goes back to the Old Testament. Why do you think that when Moses went to the top of the mountain and God said, hey, better get your people because they're melting gold and making a calf to be their God? Okay, it's the same thing. They're focusing on something else other than God because they were distracted. There was a lot of other things that were going on that were not healthy when they were having their services, right? Not saying that we're doing the same thing, but in other ways we are. So I just find it silly that pastors and worship leaders and people get so paranoid about who's worshiping and who's not. Again, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing a great job in leading worship. But I'm talking about where people start equating that to their spiritual effectiveness. This is why, if you don't believe me, then think about the days when you or somebody that you know walked away from a worship service and said, man, I sucked. I should just quit. Or the pastor tells me I should quit. The pastor no longer thinks I'm effective. And then that's when we start chasing the carrot each week. Well, I must get more songs. Well, I must add this to my team. Well, I must add this to the worship service. Do you see where all this is going? Because if you're not checked in a healthy place, you're going to have nothing but confusion. And you're going to have nothing but disorder because evil is what's robbing it. So that's why I asked a question earlier on Facebook. Um, I, I put a post. Uh, let me pull it up here. I pulled, I pulled up a post, created a post rather, sorry, in which I had said, what was it? Bear with me. If you're still watching, thanks for not shutting me off. Um, I made this post where it's, you probably saw it. It's down here. Yeah. Um, stop, worship, stop worshiping the production of worship. Start worshiping the God of our worship. And I had quite a few responses on this. And quite a few people um, came out. I, I also posted this on Worship Leaders Plus uh, Facebook group. And you know, there was quite a few responses about it. And I have some people that are arguing <laughs> about being a worship cover band. Um, you know, how, how, how can we, you know, if we shouldn't be worried about, um, oh, goodness, I, this post. As a worship leader, I'd rather be in a place of peace that is spiritually healthy than a place that is based on performance that strives for perfection. That's what I wrote. That was another place. And people are saying, yeah, you can, you can have both. You can have healthy and you can have excellent performance. I don't find how that can be married to each other because it's, it's either one or the other. It's like what James said. Um, out of the heart doesn't flow both salt and fresh water. It, it only comes from one source. So it's just funny to me how we as worship leaders don't realize that we're not in a spiritually healthy place because we're having to do all these things based on performance to garner people's attention. And if we have to do that, you've got to stop and ask yourself the question, why? Why should I try to garner people's praise because I know that you're saying it's not for you but is it 
I put these videos together to help give us all a deep, hard look into the purpose and why and what we're doing in the church because if we're not spiritually healthy, that's a problem for our own spirits and relationship to God, especially if we're in a capacity of leading others. So I'm just calling out like I see it. Um, I'm sharing my perspective. I'd love to hear yours. If I'm wrong in any way or any heresies being shared or taught, and please um, confront me, let me know so that I can correct it. But I'm just trying to speak things from the heart, from what I am learning in the Bible. And I'm trying to present that to you in a way that's helpful and that you can find value. Anyway, signing off now. Thanks guys for um, coming into the video and uh, watch for more at Confessions of a Worship Leader. I'm Brandon and that's my daily confession.